0: All right, glad to see all of you today, as I said, and uh, thankful to see some more baby bottles here for the Echoes uh, fundraiser, and uh, if you still have some of those and you're pretty getting close to full, uh, get those back to us, that would be great. We are continuing our march through the first chapters of Proverbs, and we come to chapter five, where... Solomon teaches and challenges his children on the topic of sexual purity. It's been our practice and policy over the years to deal with the texts as they come and to deal with the topics as they come, and not to skip over hard passages or ignore uncomfortable passages. And the only reason why this may be uncomfortable to some people is because we don't usually discuss some of these things in public settings. But it's here in our text we're going to speak what the Scripture says, And churches in our country, in regarding some of these issues, have often gone to extremes in the matter, either trying to avoid talking about these topics or being almost obscene about what they they say publicly. We're definitely not going to go to those extremes, but we are going to be honest and fair with the text and what Solomon is teaching his sons. And it's good to remind ourselves that the Bible—that the Bible—is the word of the sovereign Creator of the universe. He directed the Bible writers to write what they wrote. And as the sovereign creator and ruler of his universe, he knows how everything is supposed to work. He created it. He created us. He created us male and female. And he created the relationship between male and female. And there is a biblical framework. For sexuality in gender and relationship, and when we operate our lives and relationships within God's design, all is well and the blessing of God is with us. But when we violate God's design, then trouble comes uh, both on a personal relationship level and in society in general. Ever since man's fall into sin in Genesis 3, sexual sin has been a problem for human beings to some extent. The extent of the problem usually depends on how various societies define sexuality and what sorts of sexual behaviors a particular society accepts. For many generations, American society has had a definite biblical flavor regarding sexuality thanks to faithful preaching of the Word of God by thousands of pastors across the country and moral values being taught in Christian homes. But over the last 60 years, there has been a very clear shift away from biblical teachings, which has led to a well-documented drift away from God's design. Immorality is as common as sunrise and sunset. Gender dysphoria, as it's often called, is becoming more and more common. Uh, that's not. This is not a newsflash to anyone who has eyes. Uh, there are some things so commonplace, or these things rather, are so commonplace that I'm sure that I don't need uh, to quote any statistics to convince you of the fact that we have become a sex-saturated society. It is. It is blatantly obvious to anyone with eyes and hormones. Uh, The sexual revolution of the 1960s, combined with other so-called liberation movements, have resulted in the sexualization of women to unimaginable levels, and in view of the current clothing styles for women and even little girls, we could say that the sexualization of female clothing has risen to levels that leave very little to the imagination. If you wonder about that, just wander around shopping in Great Falls or Kalispell for a few hours or just about anywhere else in the country. The pressure on our young adults to be sexually active is, is very intense. Uh, back in my growing up years in the 60s and 70s, there was immorality in high school and college, but it was not openly accepted. It was still in the shadows, and those who were engaging in immoral behaviors were still, uh, were still attempting to kind of hide it but now it's bold and brazen and open and right out there in the open public. The uh, percentage of the population who are are married has declined, and the age for first marriages has risen dramatically. And government policies have only made this worse. However well-intentioned our lawmakers may have been, the consequences of their laws and regulations have been socially and personally destructive. Uh, Welfare policies not only enable but encourage young women to have children and not get married by paying them more with every child and financially penalizing them if they do get married. And the same thing occurs at the other end of life among we senior citizens. Widows and widowers are enticed to live together unmarried because they're going to lose benefits if they get married. And I I hope you understand that, that this push in our country to redefine marriage, it is not about fairness and freedom, as it's often claimed. It is about changing the nature of our society to not just tolerate, but to accept and even celebrate what God says is sin. The tragedy for our nation and those buying into all these lies about human sexuality is that those who have pushed to redefine marriage and gender and morality, have unfortunately become very successful. And so we are now reaping the terrible consequences of disobedience to God's design. And then we have a new enemy in our modern world. We call it the Internet. In particular, we call it the smartphone. And now we have handheld, pocket-sized computers that can access the Internet in a few seconds. And while there are certainly some wonderful uses for the internet and smartphones, I'd hate to give up mine. It has put opportunities for sexual sin on steroids. You used to have to go to certain parts of town or certain stores to seek out immorality. Now you don't have to go anywhere. You just take your smartphone out of your pocket. You don't even have to go looking for immorality. It's kind of coming at you from every direction on the internet. The wonderful author and Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe, now with the Lord, uh, said a number of years ago, he said, The most expensive thing in the world is sin. Very true. And in our text today, Solomon is challenging his children uh, in, in a very blunt and straightforward way to stay on the path of purity. Well, let's look at chapter 5. We're going to read the whole chapter, all 23 verses. It's all one teaching section, and we're going to examine it this week. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning there in verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion, and your lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell, lest you ponder her path of life. Her ways are unstable, you do not know them. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well, Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving, dear, and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times, and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman, and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. I came across an interesting, somewhat humorous little poem I thought I would read to you this morning. As I was doing some study this week, came across this. This goes like this. Before I married Maggie, dear, I was her pumpkin pie, her precious peach and honey bun, the apple of her eye. But after years of married life, this thought I paused to utter. Those fancy names are now all gone. I'm just her bread and butter. Unfortunately, that's the way many people think about Marriage. It's all fun and games for a while, but then the bills come and the kids come and work takes over and we just end up providing for each other and all the relationship joys have faded away. But you know, marriage is like a garden. We plant seeds of love and fellowship and laughter and enjoyment and fulfillment and it will produce what we plant. But as with any garden, we have to work the garden of marriage. And if we don't, the weeds take over and the fence falls down and the garden becomes unproductive. And rather than work to rebuild the garden and clean out the weeds and turn the soil and fertilize and irrigate, we start looking for other gardens that look better than our own. And wandering hearts lead to wandering eyes, which lead to wandering feet. And that's the circumstance that Solomon is warning against. And in our text, we see the promises of sexual sin and the price of sexual sin and the prevention for sexual sin. First of all, the promises of sexual sin. Solomon has begun his teaching session with this challenge to listen. Verse 1 and 2 says to his son, pay attention, lend your ear. I want you to preserve discretion. I want your lips to keep knowledge. And then in verse 3. Interesting verse, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. You know, it's interesting to me, and I think we mentioned this in chapter 2 as well, that Solomon does not warn his sons about her looks, the looks of the immoral woman. He warns them about her words. He mentions the immoral woman in chapter 2 and chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. And in chapter six, he does mention her looks and her words, but in every other place he focuses on her words. Remember that in Solomon's day, women were wearing what we would call a robe, and in many cases a veil that covered a part of the head, covered the head and part of the face. So in chapter six, when he says, Don't let her allure you with her eyelids, I figure the eyes may have been the only part of the woman's face that he could actually see. And so Solomon says to his son, watch out for her words. She's going to flatter you and flirt with you and say sweet things to you. And although her looks may attract your attention, it's going to be her voice and her inflection and her words that are going to draw you into that black hole of sexual sin. She's going to be sweet and smooth and charming. She's going to promise fun and excitement and charms and thrills. Says her lips drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But it's all a false promise. What, what's actually going to happen is that you're going to wreck your life, Solomon says. And in those next verses, it says, In the end, verse 4, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell, her ways are unstable. W- wormwood is, is a plant that produces a very bitter medicine. And so what Solomon says is going to happen to you, my sons, he said, if you chase after immoral women, you're going to get bitterness and pain and, and death and loss and instability. The Hebrew word in, that's translated instability means to stagger around, to wander, to roam. That's what you actually end up with, Solomon said. That's, that's, that's the real promise. Oh, I said her lips drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, all you're going to get is bitterness and pain and death and loss and instability. And we've mentioned this in past weeks. We see it again here in verses 7 and 8. When Solomon says, Stay away from her, he says, Hear me, my children, do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Solomon says, Stay away from her. Don't go anywhere near where she lives. Don't tell yourself you can handle the pressure. We talked about this last Sunday or the Sunday before. We often often think we are so insulated that we we know Christ as our Savior. We've got the Word of God. We're we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are so insulated that we can handle temptation if I just dabble in it a little bit. And Solomon says, don't do that. He says, remove your way far from her and don't go anywhere near her door. Don't tell yourself that you can handle the pressure. Don't think that you're spiritual enough to cope with it. About 20 years ago, I was at a, uh, I was at a biblical counseling conference and uh, heard a wonderful speaker uh, Charles Ware is his name, black pastor from Indianapolis. At that time, he was running an inner city ministry there. And, and uh, Charles Ware, Pastor Ware, was talking uh, with some men in his church about all the temptations of the world and various things. And, and one fellow sort of self-righteously popped up and said to him, Well, you know, Pastor Ware, he said, I am so full of the Holy Spirit. That he said, a naked woman could be standing right here in front of me, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. Pastor Weir looked at him, and he said, well, he said, my brother, you're full of something, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Don't tell yourself that you can handle the pressure. Don't think that you're spiritual enough to cope with it. Solomon says to his sons, stay away from the temptation don't go near the door of her house and in the year 21 we can adapt that to say change the channel stay away from those websites don't watch those music videos as well as don't go to the places where immorality is trying to draw you in stay away from her solomon says don't go anywhere where she lives which brings us to the next thought not only the The promises of sexual sin that are false, but the price of sexual sin. Verses 9 through 14. He says, Lest you give your honor to others, your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed, and say, How have I, I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly of the congregation. Well, I'm sure by now in this teaching session, Solomon has the attention of his children. And he says to his kids, he says his sons in particular, and to his children, he says there in verse 7, there are four potential costs to sexual sin. He said it can cost your wealth, it can cost your physical health, it can cost your mental health, and it can cost you your testimony. If a person was caught in sexual sin in Solomon's day, they could be executed under certain circumstances. They could also be sold into slavery to pay a debt that a judge levied against them because of their sin. And so when when Solomon mentions the cruel one in verse 9, it could be a reference to a judge who wants to make an example of you, or a slave master who has no mercy on you because of your sin. But regardless, he says, your years will be given to someone with no mercy. All of your honor is going to go to someone else. Somebody else is going to be filled with your wealth. You actually, can. he said, it can cost you everything that you have. Verse 11, of course, refers to the potential of sexually transmitted diseases. When when he says, when you mourn at last and your flesh and your body are consumed. Sexually transmitted diseases have been with us for several thousand years. And they're still with us today. And there has been a huge uptick in, in in, in all of the different various STDs as we call them now. Sexually transmitted diseases. So Solomon says you can lose your wealth. You can lose everything you've got. You can lose your physical health. Verse 12 and 13 says, it kind of refers to our mental health. He said, and you, and you say to yourself, how I have hated instruction. My voice, my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers. I have not inclined my ear to those who instructed me. That, that's just a picture of regret and remorse and sorrow at the poor choices that have been made. Your state of mind becomes quite pitiful and filled with, with, with regret. And then verse 14 is kind of a picture of public disgrace. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. I was on the the verge of total ruin, just a public disgrace. You know, there, there can be confession and forgiveness for any sin that anyone commits. But restoration to the former place of honor and community respect is very, very difficult, if not virtually impossible, to regain. Sexual sin can cost you everything you've got. It can take all your wealth. It can cost you your physical health. It can cost you your mental health. It can certainly cost you your testimony. But what is the prevention for sexual sin? Solomon shares with his children two strategies to prevent sexual sin from overtaking you. He says, love your spouse and love the Lord. Now in verses 15 to 19, we'll read them again. He says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well, should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times, and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman, and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? Solomon here is, of course, using word pictures that you may call metaphors or similes or idioms or euphemisms. Take your pick. He, he, is, he is picturing the physical relationship between married people. And he is doing so without being verbally graphic to his children. If you think about these word pictures, I'm sure you can figure them out. I'm not going to help you publicly. I would be willing to help you privately if you're actually interested. But I'm not going to help you publicly figuring out the word pictures. But he's expressing all of these various things. and, And the point, or his point, to his children is that being physically intimate with your spouse is good and honorable and holy, and it is supposed to be enjoyable and fulfilling. Sexual intimacy within the boundaries of the marriage commitment is always spoken of in positive terms in the scripture. A happy marriage with pleasant physical intimacy is one strategy, Solomon says, for avoiding sexual sin. The other is this, to know and to love God. Love your spouse and love the Lord. He says there in verse 21, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Notice the attributes of God that Solomon is highlighting regarding this issue of sexual sin. He's saying that God is omniscient, that he knows everything, he sees everything, and he's saying that he is just and he is fair. So those are the three things that that Solomon emphasizes, God's omniscience and God's justice and God's fairness. He says he ponders, meaning he examines, he observes, he weighs uh, all of our paths. And this word paths is the one we've talked about in past weeks, where, where, we, where we kind of cut grooves in the ground like wagon ruts. We've talked about them in past chapters as being habits of life, holy habits. He's saying God is examining our habits, God is seeing everything that we are doing. He is seeing everything that we're not doing. He is examining our habits. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He said, beholding the evil and the good. In another in another proverb, Solomon says. Here he says, the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. And you know, I, have, uh, I, I think sometimes God brings immediate judgment on our sin. But most of the time... He allows us to reap the consequences of our own choices. And you know, of course, that our choices do have consequences. We often say we're free to make choices, but we're not free to escape the consequences of our choices. Whatever choices we make, there are always consequences, good bad, good, good, good or bad. And so sometimes I think when when there is sexual sin involved, God brings immediate judgment on it, but sometimes He just lets us reap the consequences of our own sin. And I've kind of pondered this many times over the years, and I do believe that God in His mercy often delays judgment in order to give us time to repent. So often in the scriptures, we see that God very patiently offers opportunities to, re- to repent. You remember even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they ate the forbidden fruit and they fell into sin, and God came down in the cool of the evening to speak with them as he had done day after day after day after day. God knew what they had done. God knew what they were. God knew what had happened. He knew all the things about it. But what does God do? He doesn't come swooping down with a sword in his hand and say, Hey, you lousy rascal, I gave you all this stuff and look what you've done. That's not what he did. He comes down into the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? He he knew where he was. Adam, where are you? Oh, I'm I'm over here hiding, Lord. Uh, Why are you hiding? Well, I, I, I was naked and I was hiding myself oh who told you you were naked did you eat the fruit that i told you not to eat what's what is god doing there he is offering adam and eve an opportunity to come clean and to repent god knew exactly what they had done just like this verse tells us the ways of a man are before the eyes of the lord god knew exactly what had happened But he's offering them an opportunity to repent. And he gives us opportunities to repent. Hold your finger for just a moment. Look as we wind up here. Proverbs chapter 28. Just a few verses over. Proverbs chapter 28. This is one of those great pivotal life principle verses. I know I've showed it to you before. I would encourage you to memorize it, mark it, underline it, highlight it, whatever those of you who like to do those things in your Bible. What a tremendous verse. Proverbs 28, verse 13, Proverbs 28:13. Solomon writes, "He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy." That is such a tremendous Bible life principle. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You and I are going to sin. We are sinners. We fall for temptation. We say stupid things. We do stupid things. We are going to fall. But, 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 but the, the, the big question is, what are we going to do then? Are we going to keep trying to cover it up and try to conceal it? No, he says, he who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them, you confess it to God, you turn your back on it, you get up, you dust yourself off, you start going for the Lord Jesus Christ again, you put those things behind you, you change your life, you confess and you forsake them, you will have mercy. As I say, this is such an incredible, powerful life principle for every person of every age and every season of life. Whoever covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You see, because God, in his mercy, offers us patiently opportunities to repent. And so here, back in Proverbs chapter 5 again, he says, The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. God is examining all of our habits of life. But then he doesn't say God's going to zap you. He says in verse 22, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. You see, if we do not repent, then we reap the consequences of our own sin, as verse 22 tells us. Our own iniquities entrap us, and we are caught in the cords of our own sin. Many years ago, there was a Bible teacher who was speaking to a class of teenagers regarding this principle taught in verse 22. He looked across this large group of teens. He spotted a young man that he was acquainted with. This guy played football. He wrestled. He lifted weights. Big, heavy, strapping guy. And he asked him to come to the platform, and he pulled out of his pocket a spool of thread from his wife's sewing kit. He said to the young man, I am going to tie your wrists with this thread the guy kind of grins and chuckles oh okay and so the teacher wraps his hand a couple of times with the thread he ties it off he said break free get this chair snap so the teacher says okay let me let let me try again and he wrapped it oh four five six times and he tied it off he says break free he struggled a little bit but he snapped him then the teacher wrapped his wrists and he just kept going and going and going twenty times twenty five times he stopped knotted it and tied it off he said, "Break free!" And that big strapping guy struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled. He could not break threads—just threads. But see, you wrap them enough, and pretty soon you can't get free. He—he he was bound. So the teacher pulled the scissors from and pulled scissors from his pocket, <laughs> cut the threads, let the guy go back to his seat. The teaching being, the moral being, sin is so deceptive it blinds us and then it binds us and we think that we can dabble in this or dabble in that and we can, we can just break free whenever we want because we're strong and sin won't enslave me it's not going to get me i know i'm just doing this a little bit here a little bit there but it's all right i'll be okay solomon says don't tell yourself that you can handle the pressure don't think that you're spiritual enough to cope with it. We will be caught in the cords of our own sin. Oh, maybe maybe once I've heard people. Well, I mean, I just I, I just did this once, yeah. But then you know, a few weeks later you, you do it twice, and then a few weeks later you do it again. I mean, and after a while it's just threats But after a while you're tied up so tight you can't get loose. That's why Solomon said, "Stay away from the temptation." Don't go near the door of its house. You won't get wrapped up in its web. As I said earlier, sin is the most expensive thing in the world. Whoever covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. By God's grace, walk the path of purity. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We stumble, we struggle, we have all sorts of issues that we wrestle with. It may be sexual temptations, it may be other kinds of temptations. We know, Lord, that as sinful human beings, we are carrying around all the effects of sin in us. And we definitely need your grace, we need your help, we need your strength. And Lord, we need determination in our own hearts to say no to sin and to break those threads and stay away from it. Don't even go near the door of the house. Lord, we are surrounded in our world, in our society by uh, just uh, sexual temptation through the eyes and the ears and uh, music and dance and clothing styles and the whole lifestyle of our world is so uh, so opposite what you tell us to do and how you tell us to live. Lord, I pray that you guide us as we navigate our way through this sex-saturated society. And may we walk the path of purity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.